Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 151. I'm Darby Veneer, and I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to become an indispensable leader is key, and one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend, Scott Mader. Leaders have to remember that like, work is just one part of somebody's life. And that really does figure into how you should be leading. Because if you take too hard line of, a, of an approach and somebody's having some stuff in the background that you're not aware of, you can easily push them over the edge. The other thing is I mentioned earlier, you have to be a really good listener. And I mean, listen to understand Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interviewed Darby Veneer. I asked Darby about his life and how it led him to writing the book, The Indispensable Leader. I also asked Darby about his views on what leadership really is. And I asked Darby to share about the differences between being in a formal leadership position and being a leader without the position to go along with it. One reason I like to bring you great interviews like the one you're going to hear today is because of the power in learning from others. Another great way to learn from others is through reading books. But if you're like most people today, you find it hard to find the time to sit down and read. And that's why today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go to inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to sign up and you can get a 30-day free trial. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from. And instead of reading, you can listen your way to learn from some of the greatest minds out there. That's inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to get your free trial and listen to great books the same way you're listening to this podcast. Darby Veneer has over 20 years of experience in leadership development and strategic consulting. He has led effective teams of more than 100 employees, coached others into their own leadership positions, and created stability during challenging organizational transitions. His career has been built on the philosophy that developing the right people is the key to success. Darby started his career as an HR and operations manager for a 22-screen AMC movie theater, where he hired, trained, and managed a team of over 100 employees, and is a branch manager of a FedEx office store where he coached half of his team into their own leadership positions. These positions readied him to fulfill the role of executive director and CEO of the Alpacas Owners Association, an international livestock association. There, he built a foundational systems, built the processes and a team in a newly opened corporate office, fostering the company and industry through difficult transitions, including a long-term rebranding program and an organizational merger. Combining the diverse knowledge and experience gained through these positions, he now serves on the leadership team of a highly successful leadership development organization, Leadership Resources. Darby recently released his book, Indispensable Leader, and Darby lives in Lincoln, Nebraska with his spouse, Erica, their daughter, and their dog named Fresca. Welcome to the show, Darby. 
It's great to be here, Scott. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. We talked a little bit about your past career. (laughs) You've had some interesting journeys and a little bit about your personal life in the intro. How do you think that journey that you had led you to this realization that you're putting forward in, in the book about being a great manager, being a great visionary leader, and how this isn't necessarily an either or, but a, a both and is the term that I use for those. Yeah, I think it's a variety of things. Certainly, as you mentioned, my my career has been diverse. I've had quite a few interesting situations, we'll just call it that, throughout my career that have happened. And that's caused me to learn that things happen that you don't expect will happen. And it also caused me to amend my thinking on leadership. So there's that piece specifically with regard to my career, but then just more broadly, and it gets at the reason that I wanted to write the book. One was that piece that I just said, being more specific about as I was coming into my career, what are the things that I would have wanted to know that I've learned over the course of my career? Um, But the other piece of it is that as I look at society in general, I just think we have a fundamental lack of really good leadership in a lot of areas. And it's in all areas. It's in various areas of business, depending on where you're at, certainly within politics. And it doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you're on there. You can look at all of your leaders on either side and they have some challenges. And part of that is, is I just don't think that we have a well-balanced form of leadership in our minds. I think that we are choosing to make it so that, like you said, it's the either or rather than let's take a look at the good things of both ends of that spectrum and pull those things together. So all of those things came together in my thinking over the course of the last 20, 25 years and ended up, that's how I ended up writing the book. And that's how we got to where we are today. So one of the things I wanted to call out from the intro too, and just dive in a little deeper, I, I said, went from being a branch manager of the FedEx store where you were coaching people. And then it says these positions readied him to fulfill the executive director role and CEO of the alpaca zone. How does that stuff pre- prepare you for being the CEO of the alpaca owners association? Yeah, the certainly when I there's no connection. Yeah, certainly. When I coach people on careers and career decisions, one of the things, and young people that are just coming into the business world, one of the things that I say is everything you can imagine right now for your career is probably not how it's going to end up. (laughs) So the alpaca industry change was an interesting one. I obviously didn't go to college thinking I'm going to go run a livestock association. And if I had, it wouldn't have been for alpacas. Not even and, sure you knew what an alpaca was in college, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And actually, when I went to my interview, they didn't list the name of the company. They were hiring through an agency. And when I went to my interview, I didn't know what it was for, for the first interview. And then the second interview, which was actually then with the interim executive director there, I had to actually look up. By that point, I knew what the organization was. I had to look up what an alpaca was. <laughs> I had a general idea that it was like a llama. <laughs> so that was an interesting change. But I would say that, yes, ironically, my 
previous positions did prepare me for that role because what that role actually required, setting aside the fact that it was for a livestock association for alpacas throughout the whole United States, it really was running a company and the whole idea of the job. And that's why I actually applied for it. When I read the description, there was no company name, like I said, and the description described what it was, which was running this company, reporting to a board of directors, helping them grow the organization. Obviously, I knew it was a nonprofit organization at that point. And that's what I went after. And that's what it ended up being. But what it required was certainly a a great deal of managerial and leadership experience on the side of growing the organization. But it also required a great deal of collaboration building because I worked with, like I said, at that point, it was a seven-member board of directors. It expanded to nine later. And definitely that can be a challenge because of the fact that you're dealing with so many personalities. These are board members with different priorities that are coming on at different times. And I was the only constant over the course of my 11 and a half years there. You have nine bosses and they're not always even the same. (laughs) Exactly. Every year I had the potential to gain two or three new bosses. So it was an interesting time. And definitely that actually then added to my experience as it does throughout your career, of course, moving forward as well. So let's back up to it. And we just talked a lot about leadership in the first answer, but I've learned over the years that that's one of those words that not everybody means the same thing (laughs) when they say it. So when you talk about a leader or leadership, what do you mean by that term? Yeah, essentially what leadership is, it's a, it's influence. So it's your ability to influence others to help you accomplish a goal, whether that's completing a project or that's growing a company or it's increasing sales or it's solving a challenge. That's all that it really is. And what that means is, well, influence, it sounds like so simple, but what that means is that you have to use your skills as a leader, which include, from my perspective, using those managerial traits of organization and trying to understand the what and the how, but then it also includes those visionary traits of being passionate about it and selling the message and getting people on board with the culture and excited about it and the why. Why are we doing this? Because that's very important. If you really want to influence somebody and have a good leadership relationship, they need to understand the why. If they only understand the what, go do this, for example, then it's not going to be highly effective in the end. And they may do it because it's their job, but they may not be bought into the actual outcome. So it's going to be important to for them to understand the why of that, of course. And that's The dichotomy, I think, that you reference in this book is the idea of some leaders are good managers, some leaders are good at casting vision, and you're proposing that to really be a good leader, you need to have some of both of those skills. Yeah, definitely. So you do run across, and I'm quite sure you've run across them in your career, of people that are at either end of that spectrum, that are high managers. So they're all about, let's just get stuff done. They want to check off the box all of those things. And you got people at the other end that are high visionary, that are coming up with a lot of ideas. And in their head, once they generate the idea, it's done. Like they're there, like they can see it. We're done. Let's move on to the next thing. 
That's a problem to be at either end of the spectrum. You'd really don't. So in the book, I actually encourage people to look at it and think of it more like a Venn diagram where you have two intersecting circles Mm -hmm. where you're actually trying to choose the best traits of both um, pieces and pull those into what your experience is as an overarching leader and let go of those things that are not so positive. So when people are approaching leadership or, or coming into a leadership position or an influence position, as you're talking about, what do you think, what do you think we most get wrong about our approach to leadership? Yeah, I think it varies because obviously it depends on your experience. I think that on the negative side, what I would say is that people who come into a role, and I think that we can all be guilty of this, especially early in our careers. I can look back at some of the decisions I made very early in my career, and I think they fall into this. And that is, you come in, you get promoted, and that this is the first opportunity. You have a formal leadership situation where you have people reporting to you. That doesn't immediately make you a leader. It makes you a boss. And I think that we look at it sometimes as, great, now I have authority. You really don't. You have authority on an organizational chart in reporting structure, and that's it. But you really have no authority in the people that you're working with and what you're trying to help them accomplish in their positions. I think that some folks come into this too, and they think that I've been promoted. So obviously I'm all knowing most people, (laughs) unless they have a really high ego, don't think that exact words, but I think that's the outcome. I was promoted because I must know better. That's why I got the (laughs) position, right? Yeah. Yes. And unfortunately we have a lot of situations where people are promoted either because they've been there the longest or they were good at doing the task associated with their department, which doesn't necessarily right. equate to being able I'm, to I'm good at good sales. People. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm a good sales <laughs> manager. Those are, yeah. Exactly. So I think that the downside is that folks can come into this and think of it more about power and authority in that sort of situation. Certainly, again, if you look at politics, we can see that very evident in politics, but it definitely happens throughout business as well. Oh, yeah. So what would you suggest as an approach to take instead of, if that's the mistake we make, what's the better way to approach it if you've come into a leadership position? It's about an evolution too. So uh, people are going to evolve over the course of their careers. That's again, why I wrote the book. I wanted to give those things and illustrate with stories throughout my career where I screwed up and learned from it. And this was what I learned so that people have that information going in so that they can actually sit down. I encourage folks to just sit down and really think about what are the traits that you have, if you look, if you think about the manager visionary spectrum, where do you fall? People will have a general idea. If you read the descriptions of what that looks like, you'll have a general idea of where you fall. That's the first key is understanding where you're at. And then you could actually then start to look at that other side and say, okay, great. What are the things I need to work on and what do I need to gain? And being a leader is all about continuous learning and development. And that's going to be the most important thing. Like you're going to evolve over time. You're not going to get everything right. That's something else that I talk about in the book. And I always coach people on, you're going to screw up. Like you just do. I have several stories throughout my career where I made significant mistakes. It just happens. But over time, as long as you're open to learning new things and you're open to listening and doing those sorts of things, you can gain the skills necessary from both sides 
But once you understand where you lie, for example, in my, and, and you'll, you'll move. If you think about the spectrum piece, um, you'll, you can move on that spectrum too. I think I was probably much further to the managerial side early on. I probably fall just to the right of the middle right now. I probably fall a little bit more on the visionary side because of how I've evolved over the course of my career. And different positions require different, quote, weightings on those two skill sets. I know one of the first leadership positions I was in, I was really charged with a managerial role, even though on the Venn diagram, on the chart, it was now granted, I still brought some visionary skills to it and tried to help people understand the why behind what they were doing and all of that. I think that's why I was pretty good at it, but technically it was everyone who'd done it before and did it since it's a managerial role. The job was to make sure that the product was out on time all the time. That was what you were measured by. So I think you're waiting a CEO may have a little weighting that's a little different than a middle manager, so to speak, too. Yep, exactly. And some things when you're lower on the totem pole, they just aren't in your control. So even if you're high visionary, it may not make a difference for you at that point. You have to find ways to use that information in your position. And I will say it can be very frustrating. So <laughs> for that person, because they may have a much different vision for the organization or the department or whatever it is than what the actual person who's in charge has. So it can be very frustrating for them. So that means that they have to constantly be thinking about that. And it applies to the other side too. You can have somebody who moves up to a, a CEO level who needs to be more visionary and more thinking big picture, who is constantly looking at their people going, the details aren't right. Like you're not doing it right. They're not right. doing it my way. The, and the spreadsheet's supposed well. to have purple for that column, not red. <laughs> and it's, who cares? Yes. Yeah. And that's a big problem as well. <laughs> yeah. I've had that boss. That's one of the reasons I'm no longer with that particular organization, but that's a whole other story for another day. So when we think about that Venn diagram that you're talking about, and as we're talking about this in different positions, how do you describe that kind of more hybrid model of leadership versus what are the traits of them? What do they look like? What does it sound like uh, if you're taking on that hybrid leadership model? Yeah. So it's pretty much going to be a mix of the manager and visionary characteristics along with some other overarching things. So you're going to use from the manager side, you're going to use the pieces of being organized and methodical in various cases you're going to be able to explain how we're doing something and what it is that we're doing. You're going to be able to identify the steps to get there and actually be able to look at what the roadblocks are to focus on, okay, these are the challenges that we're going to encounter. And then on the visionary side, you have to have the passion behind the idea or the initiative. You have to sell it to your team. You have to be the cheerleader because they're looking to you for guidance. You have to be able to explain the why, like I talked about. This is why we're doing it, because this sales growth is going to launch us into this point by next year, and that's setting us up for the following year. So in my company, we have a reoccurring revenue model. We talk a lot about that. But explaining that early on when we switch to that model, explaining that to the team, what that means is 
is that everything we sell today is actually providing us income for the next 24 months. And the more we build that, the easier the future becomes to grow the organization. It wasn't easy to explain that, but you have to be able to get those sorts of things across. You have to be able to explain the idea of think about how great it's going to be when we accomplish it. So give them the idea because a high visionary person in their head, like I said earlier, they think of an idea and it's done. It's fully formed. They don't know how we're getting there. They don't really care, but they can see the end. The managerial type person, they can see all the steps it's going to take to get there, but they may not be able to see what it looks like in the end. They can only see the tasks associated with it. So take those things and bring them together in a hybrid type of situation so that you can actually accomplish both. And then just overarching as a leader in general, you got to have, in order to be a good leader and build a great team, you got to have good empathy, have good understanding. Everybody has their own crap going on. We, you don't, we don't all realize, just think about in your own life and all of your listeners, think about in your own life, all the stuff you have going on in your background, in the background that your coworkers have no clue about challenges with health or challenges with kids or situations like that. You have parents who are in the hospital or having issues or whatever those are, everybody has their own issues. So leaders have to remember that like work is just one part of somebody's life. And that really does figure into how you should be leading. Because if you take too hard line of, a, of an approach and somebody's having some stuff in the background that you're not aware of, you could easily push them over the edge. The other thing is I mentioned earlier, you have to be a really good listener and Listen to understand. And I say that because I think sometimes people listen to respond. It's one thing to just shut your mouth and listen, but then be constantly thinking in your head about the next thing you're going to say because you're going to respond to what they're saying. You're not actually hearing them at that point. <laughs> so listen to actually understand what people are saying. And then the other piece is really you hired these folks for a reason. I'm a big proponent of having really good hiring and onboarding processes and then having great on, on ongoing coaching because you hired these people for a reason. So let them do their jobs. There is not a need to micromanage them, get them trained for what they need to do, and then let them go along their way. If they screw up, and as I mentioned earlier, they will, and you'll screw up, they will. Then just address it at the time and say, what did we learn from this? How are we going to move forward? What's next? Don't dwell on it. You can move forward from that point. You're going to be far better served by doing that than trying to micromanage somebody to ensure that they don't mess up because you're going to probably actually create so much stress that you may actually cause them to mess up more often if you do it the other way. So those are a few of the things anyway. But but yeah, I think it's a combination of the two areas of traits. And then, like I said, those overarching things, just as a good leader, you should be doing those as well. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about formal leadership and kind of getting promoted to those positions and things, but I don't think I'm putting words in your mouth when you started the definition of leadership as influence with recognizing that people can be leaders without necessarily being, quote, in the corner office or having a particular title or position. So what about those folks that find themselves wielding influence, maybe in a company, maybe in their church, maybe in their family, but they aren't in a kind of formal leadership position? What's different and what's the same about that? Yeah, what's different is really the idea that you have to almost be a little bit reserved. So you have to control it. 
you have to understand because if you don't have the authority to make the decision, there's only so much you can do. The other thing is depending on the person that you're working under, you have to be careful how you position what it is that you're suggesting. But yeah, informal leader is a big thing because I think that sometimes folks think that leadership only comes with a title or with a reporting structure. And it really doesn't. First off, titles do not make a leader. So let's just get that out of the way right now. It doesn't matter. You could have somebody who has the title of CEO or COO who is a terrible leader. That does not mean they're going to be a good leader just because they have a title. So then when we get into reporting structure, you can have a situation where you have folks who are good leaders who have nobody reporting to them. I talk about this in my book a little bit, and I use the example of if you ever saw the movie Hidden Figures. And if you think about the fact that you have these young African-American women who were hired as calculators to help with the space program and all that they accomplished in their careers and for the space program and for the United States as a whole, they were leaders, but they didn't have anybody reporting to them at the beginning. They ran in a time period that wouldn't even allow that for the fact that they were women and African-American. It was not a situation that they probably could have even envisioned at the beginning of their careers. But yet, look at everything that they accomplished and they helped actually make those decisions, even though it wasn't their decision to make, they were able to use their influence to help those around them understand what actually needed to be done in order to move the initiative forward. And that's a great illustration, I think, of informal leadership that I think people can identify with. Absolutely. So before I kind of transition and ask a few questions that I like to ask all of my guests, is there anything else you'd like to share about the book, Indispensable Leader? or anything that we've talked about this today? Yeah, I think we've covered quite a few things, but one of the big things is just in general, the book is meant to target folks who are coming into leadership positions. And when I say new to leadership, that doesn't mean young, because it could be somebody who's just moving into actually leading people later in their career. It could be people who have been leading teams for years and are struggling all of a sudden and not understanding why. I really go through the book uh, in the book and illustrate some very basic things through stories from my career. So it makes it easy to identify what the, those situations are and how you can go about dealing with them. So yeah, I think that that kind of gives a broad overview at least. So, so one of the questions that I like to ask you, know, obviously my brand is inspired stewardship, and I run things through that lens of stewardship. Yet, like leadership that we talked about earlier, I've discovered over the years that that's one of those words that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to everybody. So for you, what does the word stewardship bring to mind and what is the impact of that understanding? Yeah, stewardship is basically taking care of something or shepherding something almost. And that can be in your personal life. It can be in your spiritual life. It can be in your business life, whatever. It can be a, in a group or a task or uh, specific business, whatever. In in my case, one thing I illustrate in the book is that people don't always understand the significance of a moment that may seem insignificant to you. And this is something with stewardship that you have to think about because you may be actually in a situation that's providing something to somebody that's going to have an immense impact on them, and you may not realize it. That puts a lot of pressure on us 
as leaders and certainly as people in general to be careful how we interact with individuals. And I'll give you an example from my career and I talk about it some in the book as well. And that is early in my career, I started out my career at uh, AMC movie theater, a 22 screen movie theater. I was one of, I don't know, six or seven managers there. But on Thursday nights, this is in the days before digital, <laughs> digital <laughs> movies. So you actually still had celluloid. And on Thursday nights, the new movies would arrive that were going to be opening on Fridays. And they would come, they come on six or seven or eight, depending on how long the movie is, six or seven reels. And then every Thursday night when they arrive, you have to take those and you have to basically put them on this big platter and you splice the, those reels together into one giant reel, basically, that's laying on a platter so that they're prepared for the next day so that they can. When I managed on Thursday nights, it was always the longest night because of that situation. And you also then had to take all the movies that were leaving on Friday and take those splices apart, put them back on their individual reels. So there was a lot that had to be done. So I always, when I finished my closing duties for the night and had all the financial stuff done and everything was shut down and whatnot, I would always go help the projectionist. Not all the managers did, but I always go would go help the projectionist finish that work because I wanted to go home and it was already <laughs> two o'clock in the morning. And I remember one time, again, very early in my career there, and I was taking apart one of the movies that was going back. And essentially, you got this giant movie print that's laying on this platter. And in the middle, there's this metal ring that has spikes that go down in the platter that hold the print on there. And you feed it through. And then you have this table, you have the little reels on. And then you have this knob and you can speed it up and slow it down as to how fast it goes back onto the other reel. And when it gets to the end, you break the splice, take that one off, you put another empty reel on and you continue the process. So I get this thing going and I'm like, I want to get out of here. So I speed this up. I'd done it before. It wasn't anything new. However, apparently those spikes that hold the print on in that center ring were not actually down in the holes. And this thing gets spinning and I see all at once this movie print goes... And it was flying off into the projection booth. And it was like slow motion where you're like, no. And I'm looking at this on the floor and I'm like, I am so fired. (laughs) Because it's for people who don't understand what this is. It's not, you can't just pick it back up and set it back on. It's if you had a 2000 foot long extension cord that you had coiled up and you threw it on the floor and jumbled it about a little bit. That's what it's like. Try to unwind that. Or your Christmas lights, your big bundle of Christmas lights every year that you're trying. That's what it's like. So I spent the next four or five hours pulling out pieces of film and cutting them because there was no way to get these knots out without doing it and unknotting it and pulling some more out, splicing that back together, continuing on down the line. But by the time I got done, this movie print probably had so many splices in it. It was crazy. And all I can think is that we're going to get billed for this. <laughs> this is going to be expensive. I have no clue, but I'm sure it was thousands of dollars per reel. And we're talking six or seven reels or more. So I got done. I got it all in the cans to go back. This was like 730 in the morning. The managing director was going to be in at nine. So I went home and I showered and I came back immediately. And I went to tell him and I'm standing outside of his door again, thinking, this is the end of your job here. <laughs> And I went in and I explained it all to him. I'm like, 
the center ring clearly wasn't in. I should have checked it. Here's what happened. There's so many splices in this. I'm sure we're going to get billed. And I just sat there. Let's see how quick it takes him to fire me. And he looked at me and he said, Darby, I appreciate you coming in and telling me and go home and get some sleep. And that was it. That was it. Now to him, that moment was probably an insignificant moment other than the bill. I'm sure the bill was expensive, but to him, the interaction was probably insignificant. But do you know, I have used that moment throughout my entire career. Anytime anybody has screwed up, who's come to me in the same way, I have told them that story. And I'm like, look, we're going to go forward. Let's figure out how to solve it. And that's what I mean. Like, we don't realize the impact we're having. That was 20 plus years ago for me. And it still affects me today. And I've used the story many times throughout my career. And it has shaped how I lead. So I think that's a good example of that stewardship because we don't always realize what it is that we're conveying to somebody and how we're helping them along their life, essentially. So that brings me to my favorite question. This is the one I like asking everybody. If I invented this magic machine and I could grab you out of the chair where you sat today and magically transport you into the future 100 to 150 years, and through the magic of this machine, you were able to look back on your entire life and see those impacts and those ripples that you've left behind, like the story you just told that left a ripple on you, what impact or what impact do you hope you've left behind in the world? I would love to be able to see how I changed the trajectory of somebody else's life. When I have, over the course of my career, as I have changed companies, when I evaluate a company, I interview them almost more than they interview me. When I evaluate a company, I am evaluating a lot of things. I want to know what good that company is doing for society. I want to understand the impact that I will have to people and the world as a whole. Now, that sounds probably a little bit crazy, and I'm not thinking of it like I'm trying to end world hunger or something like that, although that would be wonderful. I just want to have an impact on somebody else's life. And throughout my career, what I get the most joy out of is seeing the success of others. I've had a wonderful opportunity to work with some amazing people that I have hired over the years. I have seen some folks that I hired as a retail cashier at Kinko's when I was there who progressed. They promoted with me up through supervisor and assistant manager, and then I left that organization, but they continued to move up and I've seen them move to store manager and then take over and move to move companies and take over larger initiatives. I've had that happen a variety of times. And I get so proud of those situations, proud of those individuals and what they've been able to accomplish. If I was looking back, that's the sort of thing that I would want to see. If it has a greater impact on the world as a whole, and I've inspired somebody to do something great, even beyond just their own life, then that would be wonderful. But it's the specific moments that I actually look at on a day-to-day basis. So what's coming next for Darby as you continue on this journey? What's on the roadmap for the second half of the year? Throughout the rest of this year, I'll be obviously working on promoting the book. Everybody, the next question is when are you starting your next book? And I'm like, (laughs) my mind right now takes a lot to get this one done. 
but yeah, the the big thing is continuing to talk about the book, to get content out there, to help others, to convey this message, because the messaging is what's more important to me than anything. And I'll continue to do that in through podcasts and speaking and those sorts of things as well. So you can find out more about Darby over on Facebook as The Indispensable Leader or on Twitter and LinkedIn as Darby Veneer or find out more about the book and Darby's coaching and services over at BeIndispensable.com. Of course, I'll have links to all of that in the show notes as well. Darby, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? No, I think the big thing is just, again, understand that a moment that's insignificant to you may have dramatic significance to somebody else. And I would say, just don't forget to be indispensable. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures. Develop your influence and impact the world.